Uh, I'm back into John's Gospel. So uh, Pete referred to it earlier. Last year we, we started on a journey through John's Gospel and through the course of the year we managed to do about seven chapters, which actually is not bad for me. Um, but I wanted to pick up again uh, in John's Gospel because I want to do uh, a series on life in the Spirit and uh, particularly want to pick up today on some of the stuff that, uh, that John has to say, uh, his um, record of conversations that Jesus has with the apostles about the coming of the Spirit. There's a, a section right in the middle of John's Gospel there that helps us with all of that. So I'm in John's Gospel at chapter 14, and I'm going to read to you from verse 15. John 14 from verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom my Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe and will no longer talk much. Uh, uh, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Amen. Um, before we get into the kind of the nuts and bolts of this, uh, let me just remind you of the backdrop to John's Gospel, because this is really important. This puts it into a context for us that helps us understand more clearly and get more value out of the things that are being said here. So, um, John's Gospel was written late in the first century. Um, most scholars would have it sometime around 90 AD, that kind of period. It was the last gospel to be written. And it's, it seems quite clear to me at any rate that John writes his gospel for a number of very good reasons. Now remember, by this time there are three of the gospels circulating. So it's not that, that there's a particular you know, uh, um, need for 
another gospel in sense of just the gospel message. But there are things that John needs to say that speak into what is happening in that time. He needs to recall for us things that Jesus said to the apostles, conversations that Jesus had, some of the things that Jesus did, because it helps us particularly in the context that he's writing into. So around 90 AD, you've got all sorts of stuff going on that actually is causing the church to feel a little bit insecure. You've got the demise of... The apostles in general, the apostles, uh, because of persecution, have either been killed or some of them might have just um, died from uh, natural causes. But there are not many of the original apostles left. Jesus, of course, is not there because he's ascended. He's sitting at the right hand of, of the Father. So, so the physical Jesus is not there. He's in heaven. His um, first line of representatives, the apostles, are very quickly disappearing. There are not many of them Left In AD 70, you get a, um, uh, a very important event happens. In AD 70, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed by the occupying Roman army. And um, that's quite important because in, in first century Christianity, the temple was still a very important place. That was where the Christians in Jerusalem met um, almost on a, on a daily basis. That's where they would go to pray and to worship and to have fellowship together. I mean, they did it in each other's houses as well. But in terms of church meetings, like our sort of meeting today, that's where they would do it. They would, they would go to the temple. And once the temple is destroyed, and of course, don't forget that um, the, these guys living in Jerusalem, the Christians living in Jerusalem, were also Jews. And so the temple was was, part, uh, was quite central to their lives. It was very, very important. It was a sign that God was with them. Um, it was their place of worship. It was their place where they went to hear the voice of God and to be taught and all of those sorts of things. And you've got the church kind of meeting around all of that as well. It's a very significant place for them. And all of a sudden, it's gone. It's, it's turned to rubble. And uh, it's very difficult for us to imagine... Um, what that would feel like. I mean, imagine if you went home today and you, you got home and when you got there, your house was just a pile of rubble that some Romans had breezed through and, uh, you know, taken some hammers and whatever to it and just reduced the place to rubble. If you can imagine the feeling of desolation that would that would elicit from you, that would be something, I guess, akin to the way that the Jews would have felt and the early Christians would have felt at losing the temple. Suddenly something which was integral and a very important part of their life was ripped away from them. Added to that, you've got um, a rise in persecution. So towards the end end of the first century, persecution is growing. Um, People don't like the church. Uh, They don't like it because it's powerful. They don't like it because the church brings change and people don't like change. And so they were rising up against it, particularly people in power who saw the church as a threat because people were listening more to what the church had to say than what the politicians had to say. Oh, that that would be the case again. Eh? Don't you think? So um, persecution is rising. Um, Christians are being locked up and and tortured and killed for their faith. And all of that is going on. And of course, the big important thing is they were expecting that Jesus would be back in a flash. They were expecting that when Jesus ascended into heaven and and he says to them, I'm coming back, they were expecting that that might be next week or next month or certainly by the end of the year. They were expecting him to come back very quickly. And here we are, 
um, 60 years on, maybe 70 years on, and there's no sign yet of the returning Jesus. He's not come back yet. And when you start putting all of these things together, you find yourself with a very insecure, slightly confused and unhappy church. I don't know if you ever feel like that. I have my moments when I feel slightly insecure, unhappy, and uh, wondering what on earth is going on. But that was certainly the case for the church at this point in the first century. And that's the context in which John is writing into. And so he writes with this very clear message, and he, and he recalls these conversations that Jesus has with the apostles to help them understand something of the plan of God in this. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. These passages are known as the paraclete passages. Paraclete is a Greek word which is often used of the Holy Spirit in terms of his ability to help and to direct and to to guide us, to teach us, those sorts of things. I have to be careful because I very often find myself saying parakeet instead of paraclete. Parakeet, of course, is an exotic bird, not the Holy Spirit. We had a... um, We had a... uh, a request for information this week to, to hire one of our rooms from the Stapleford Parrot Club. <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that. Actually, when Russ told me, I thought you said the Stapleford Pirate Club, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to join that. Pirate Club, yeah, come on. Ooh, ah, me arties. Splice the main brace. But uh, no, it was the, uh, it was the Parrot Club. Anyway. Yes. Back to John. So these, uh, you find these few chapters in the middle of John's Gospel which are referred to as the paraclete passages because Jesus is talking very particularly about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit and what we should expect and what we should look to him for. So let's get into that a little bit. Um, he starts out, uh, chapter 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So hit the pause button there. Jesus says, if you, then I will. And I want us to understand here that if you um, want to experience the fullness that is available in terms of a relationship with God, and if you want to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, there is some obedience required. Now, let's not get confused uh, about all of this where grace is concerned, because God is a God of grace. What grace means is basically that he gives you, free for nothing, things that you don't deserve. That's grace. And he gives you the Holy Spirit out of his grace. And the Holy Spirit is there to help us, to comfort us, to guide us. We'll get into all of that in a minute. But if you want to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, there is a journey for you to make as well. You can't just sit back and say, I've got the Holy Spirit now, it's all going to be okay. Actually, you've got to get on the road with him. And if you, if you don't believe me, then read this for yourselves. So start at the beginning of chapter 14 and read the following half a dozen chapters and see how many times Jesus says, if you do this, I will do this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Okay, so if you love him and you keep his commandments, he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, talking about the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you love Jesus, then you try to live like he says you should live, and in the process of doing that, there is a higher level of engagement with God and with the Holy Spirit. That you will know more of the Spirit's power, that you will understand more, that you will gain much more from that relationship, because you are walking in obedience to the things that God is saying. Now, you you can choose not to walk in obedience. That doesn't mean that you'll never hear from the Holy Spirit because God still loves you. He still wants you to receive the Holy Spirit. He still wants you to be blessed. He still wants to help you. There are no conditions attached to the love of God. But if you really want the full power, the full-on power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, you have to make a journey with Him. You can't just sit back and expect Him to do everything. Are you with me? And Jesus is quite clear about that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Now, that's not, you know, I grew up with this big theological battle going on around me. Um, You know, when I was young in faith, the whole battle between grace and, uh, and works. That actually, you know, I'm saved by grace therefore you know there is nothing that i can do to earn or to deserve my salvation it comes as the free gift of god so why are you now asking me to do something well i'm not asking you to do something for your salvation because that is the free unmerited gift of god that comes to you by the grace of god you are saved because you put your faith in jesus at such point as you did that when you put your faith in jesus you were saved end of there, there is no argument with that. Now, what are you going to do with that salvation? Now, what are you going to do now that you've entered into that relationship with the living God? There is a journey for you to make. There are things that are required of you. The last thing Jesus says to the disciples in Matthew 28 is, Go and make disciples. Becoming a disciple is, is a job of work. We have stuff to do. We have things to go through. We have things to learn. So there is stuff for us to do. And and just the same here where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He's saying that, you know, if you want to live this abundant life that I came to give you, if you want to know this fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit working every day in your life, then you need to engage with that journey. You need to, There is stuff for you to do. You need to be pursuing that course of becoming his disciple. And the more you do that, the more power you will experience. I've had quite a few interesting experiences around the Holy Spirit and spirit-filled people. I remember once meeting a guy who, for me, in every respect, uh, was an apostle, uh, a modern-day apostle. And... um, when When I was first introduced to him, I shook his hand and I'm like, whoa because of the power of God in this man you, you, it was palpable it was measurable you can just shaking his hand something caused me to step back because I could sense the power of the spirit in this guy uh, now how does, how does he get to be like that because he had given his life to being a disciple to being obedient to what God had called him to do to being a man of prayer and, uh, uh, and reading his Bible and all of those things and that journey of discipleship had built in him that 
reserve, if you like, of power in the Holy Spirit. And that's the way it works. Are you with me? Okay. That said, when we, when we come to talking, uh, to talk a little bit more about the gifts of the Spirit, they are grace gifts. So, um, if you want to talk about things like healing and prophecy and tongues and all of those sorts of things, they come again as gifts of grace. You don't have to kind of be able to tick boxes in order to move in those things. But if you want to live consistently in the power of the Holy Spirit, there is a journey to make. So Jesus says, if you, if you do that, I will send you another helper. And uh, that word there, that's the parakletos, the helper, um, uh, which in, in the, the Greek means um, intercessor, consoler, advocate, comforter. He's somebody who comes to help us in our daily lives. He's somebody who comes to encourage us and sustain us and give us what we need to live the sort of life that we ought to be living. How many know that you can't do this on your own? I have tried. You know, you really can't live the life that God calls you to. You really can't do it on your own. Living life on your own is how you got into trouble in the first place. Now, Jesus has rescued you, and now he sends you the power to become what he wants you to be. And so the Holy Spirit is very important to us in that sense. And so he says, I will send you um, another helper, another Paraclete. Now, in John's Gospel, there are a number of times where Jesus is referred to as Parakletos, that Jesus is the helper. And when Jesus says, I will send you another helper, what he's saying is, I will send you another of the same type. In other words, uh, that the Holy Spirit, the helper who comes, is to all intents and purposes, and remember the context we were talking about earlier, is to all intents and purposes for us, a replacement Jesus. That the Holy Spirit comes to be Jesus for us. We can't have Jesus come and hold our hand because he's sitting on a throne in heaven. And remember that Jesus, in the incarnation, he becomes a man. When he ascends to heaven, he's still a man. He's no longer omnipresent. He's still God, but he has set aside that, uh, that um, godness, if you like, to come and do the work that he needed to do on earth. And when he ascends, there is now a man seated on the throne in heaven. So how are we to know Jesus intimately the way that he wants to know us? How are we to hear his voice? Who are we to grab a hold of when we need somebody to hold our hand? Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the paracletos. I am sending you another paracletos because I am going to the Father... And when I go to the Father, the Father will send you in my name the Holy Spirit, this paracletos, to help you in your life, to give you what you need so that you can become everything that you were created to be. The Spirit's function, it says in my commentary, the Spirit's function is to represent God to the believer as Jesus did in his incarnate state. Another means another of the same kind, not of a different kind. The Holy Spirit comes to be Jesus for us because Jesus is seated on a throne in heaven. That, so important we understand that, but isn't that fantastic news? Uh, you know, on those odd occasions when I think to myself, you know, I really wish that I could have walked alongside Jesus sometimes and, you know, listened to him preach and, and all of those sorts of things. And, and the Holy Spirit just kind of says, well, I'm here, mate. 
I'm right here. Let's do it. Let's take a walk. Let me talk to you. Let me give you some guidance here. Let me help you with all of this stuff. You know? He is, to all intents and purposes for us, he is Jesus. And Jesus says, you know him, for he dwells with you. Then he says this, and will be in you. You know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. There's a present thing going on here for the apostles, and there's a future thing to come. Now, um, being good Pentecostals, uh, we hold to the doctrine of subsequence and separability. Uh, you probably have no idea what that means, but don't worry, I'm going to tell you. Um, that when it comes to receiving the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us that when we put our faith in Jesus, there is a deposit of the Holy Spirit put in us. In, uh, when we are born again, in other words, when we put our faith in Jesus, life starts afresh. We are born again. That is the work of the Holy Spirit being deposited into our lives. So if you are a born-again Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you have been saved, you have that deposit of the Holy Spirit in you. Yes? All of the disciples, the people who Jesus is talking to in the middle of John's Gospel here, have put their faith in him. They have received that deposit of the Holy Spirit. He dwells with you. That's what Jesus is saying. You've put your faith in me, and so therefore the Holy Spirit now dwells with you. But he also flags up something to come, and will be in you. Second chapter of Acts, when they're praying at at Pentecost, uh, at the temple, the Holy Spirit comes and is poured out on them in a completely different way. So you no longer have just that deposit of the Holy Spirit that tells you that you're born again, that that releases you into that relationship with the Father, but you are now empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry, for reaching out to the world, for for reaching out and, and encouraging and helping one another. You are empowered to do something more than just sit there feeling good about the fact that you're an adopted son or daughter of the living God. There is a second experience. That's what subsequence and separability means. It means that when you were saved, when you first gave yourself to Jesus, there was a deposit of the Holy Spirit. Subsequent and separate to that, there is this opportunity to be what we commonly call baptized in the Holy Spirit, where you receive power from God so that you can become everything that he's calling you to be and so that you can do everything that he's calling you to do. And Jesus kind of flags that up for us there. He says he dwells with you and he will be in you. And it's important for us to recognize that actually we need that baptism. Because we can't make it on our own. Because we can't be everything God needs us to be. Everything he created us to be. You cannot reach your full potential without that baptism of the Holy Spirit giving you the power to be what God is shaping you to be. Has, has destined you to be. Are you with me? You need that baptism of the Holy Spirit. And um, truth be told, you need it more than once. 
You know, Paul writes, doesn't he, in one of his letters, I forget where at the moment, but he says, be being filled. Well, what he says is, if the English translation says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in the Greek, it's a continuous present tense, which means that what Paul is actually saying is, be being filled. In other words, once you have received this baptism of the Spirit, keep coming back to the Spirit and keep getting filled. Keep getting more and more, because you need more and more. Um, I think it was Spurgeon who once um, one of his congregations said to him, you know, Reverend Spurgeon, you, you keep talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. He's, and, and said, well, why do you need to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit? And Spurgeon just simply said, well, the problem is I leak. <laughs> and that's true for all of us. You know, that if you, if you think of it a, a bit like a rechargeable battery... That, you know, as the Holy Spirit fills you with power, that as you engage with doing the things God is calling you to do, power goes out from you. You know, when the, uh, when the woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus, how did he know that she touched him? Because he knew power had gone out from him. When you engage in the work of God, power goes out from you. And that power needs replacing. So you need to keep putting yourself back in the place where you are filled again afresh with the Holy Spirit, with his power. So you can continue doing the things that he calls you to do. Jesus says that when you receive the Spirit, you're receiving the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth who will guide the disciples into all truth. And the world doesn't understand I was trying to think how to kind of explain this whole thing about you know we get it but the world doesn't get it and the first thing that came to my mind was the offside rule (laughs) try explaining to people who don't enjoy football who don't follow football the offside rule I mean, so I'm not a particularly big football fan, and uh, but I mean, you know, obviously I played it at school, and we needed to learn some of the rules, but I don't understand it. But if you are a keen footballer, if you are a keen supporter, you understand the offside rule. You know what's going on. When you see them playing that tactic on the pitch, you understand what's going on because you understand, because you're into all of that. But if you're not into all of that, you, uh, you don't get it, do you? You just think, why are those blokes running in the wrong direction? Well, because they're playing the offside rule. You know, how does that work? Uh, you see what I'm saying? If, you, if you're kind of engaged with it, I, I'd, you know, my passion when I was younger was for cycling, and, and um, I, loved, I still love to watch the Tour de France on the telly. And if you don't understand the whole tactics of road racing on, on bicycles, it's just a bunch of blokes on bikes riding up mountains. That's all it is. You don't kind of, you know, why do they do that? But if you understand the tactics and everything else, you see it from a whole different perspective, don't you? And when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit of truth reveals truth to us. In other words, he gives us revelation. He helps us to understand the plan and the purpose of God. He helps us to see it. In other words, we become a part of the club. He teaches us the rule book. He tells us how these things are supposed to work. He shows us the strategy. And because we get all of that, when we see God do things, when we see the Holy Spirit move, we get what's going on. When people who haven't received the Holy Spirit don't get what's going on. It perhaps just looks a little bit odd. A little bit freaky perhaps. Perhaps it's just, you know, 
People um, draw all sorts of strange conclusions about what goes on in churches sometimes because they don't get it. And you won't get it until the spirit of truth engages with you and helps you to see and to understand. My father read his Bible from uh, being quite a young boy but didn't, didn't meet Jesus until he was in his 70s. He told me once... <clears throat> I remember every time we visited him, my dad had this big armchair, he always would sit in at home and a coffee table next to it and there was always a Bible and it was always on top of everything else which kind of indicates that he reads it because it's sitting on top of the magazines and everything else, you know. And he's he's always read it. But then at the age of whatever it was, 70-something, when he became a Christian, he said it suddenly started making sense to me. I'd read it for all these years and years and years and years and years and the stories were great and I loved it and it was all, you know, it had some meaning for him. But actually he didn't really get it until he'd given his life to Jesus and received the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit had opened his eyes to see and to understand what this stuff is all about. The spirit of truth leads us into the revelation of the purposes of God in such a way that we can make sense of it where if you don't have the spirit of truth helping you, you are not going to make sense of it. That's why the world does not understand. That's why it's all a little bit odd. That's why we have to use different language to help people to find God. The language of, come over to us and we'll help you find a job. Or if you've no food, we'll give you some shopping to take home. Or come to the cafe and we'll entertain your kids for free. There's a nice soft play area and a, an activity corner. And we have to change the language to help people to start to ask the right questions. Not, you know, we're not going to ram this down people's throats. That would be entirely wrong. God doesn't work like that. But we set people up for asking questions. And when they ask the questions, we've got some answers. You know, why do you do this? We do this because we love God and we love you. Why is the atmosphere different here to everywhere else? I spoke to a lady in the cafe this week. Um, She'd been in about 10 minutes. It was her first visit. She'd got a couple of kids with her. And uh, I just asked her if she was okay, if there was anything we could do for her. She said, this is fantastic. She said, I absolutely love it here. It just feels like home. I'll be back. What is she experiencing? She's experiencing something of the presence of God. She would have no idea that that's what she's experiencing because the Holy Spirit has not engaged with her and given her revelation. She just thinks it's great. But what we know, because we have the spirit of truth, is that the reason that it's great is because God is here. God is in this house. And when people come in, they experience something of God in the house that helps them, that makes them feel better, that makes it feel like home. That's why we're here. And the world doesn't always get it. It doesn't doesn't always make sense of it. But that's not a problem. Because we just keep doing what God has given us to do. And sooner or later he'll lead people to the place where it makes sense. Jesus carries on. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you um, yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. 
and then just get this bit again. Whoever, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You want to see more of Jesus? Be obedient. That's my paraphrase. You want to see more of Jesus? Be obedient. If, if it seems that he's not quite as, as uh, real to you as you need him to be, then try doing the things that he asks you to do, living the way he asks you to live. If you want to see Jesus with clarity, if you want to really have that focus, you have to live to serve him rather than living to serve yourself. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You know, that first deposit of the Holy Spirit in us is is the deposit that causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, the scripture says. What does that mean? It means that we realize when we first receive that deposit of the Holy Spirit that we belong to him. That he is our father. That he does love us. That he does have a plan for our lives to prosper, as the Bible says, to do us good, not to harm us. That he is there to do all of that. We sing that song, don't we? And, I, and um, I, it does my head in every time we sing it uh, with the line, um, he makes the orphan a son and daughter. You know? And, uh, you know, when Cherry's up here singing, I see her punch the air when she sings that. Because she was an orphan. And she has a family now. I mean, I know she has a physical family who fostered her and brought her up but here in this place she knows her adoption because God her father has revealed his fatherhood to her and put her in the midst of people who love her and cherish her and she has family along with the other sons and daughters of God what an incredible thing please God that more people would find that experience we are family, and that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, and again, the world doesn't get that. We live in a world, we live in a culture where it's okay to bitch about people. We live in a culture where it's okay to talk about people behind their backs. We live in a world that, you know, um, looks out for itself and doesn't care about the next person. And when we, are, uh, when we give our lives to God and decide to serve him, all that has to go out the window. Because we live to serve him. We live to serve others. It's part of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And the world doesn't get that. Again, the world really doesn't get that. Why would you do that? Why would you think more highly of somebody else than you would of yourself? Why would you go out of your way to make sure that somebody else is okay at your own expense? And why would you do that all the time? Not just a one-off. Why would you keep doing that? Why would you keep caring about the sick and the disenfranchised and the hungry and the unemployed and uh, the poor? Why would, you, why would you give yourselves completely to that? Well, we do it because of the Holy Spirit in us. Because he calls us to it and because it's the plan and the purpose of God. And if we love and serve Jesus, it's our purpose. That's why we're here. To be doing those things that draw orphans into family. And the world doesn't always get it, but that's okay.
I remember um, a, a long time ago talking to uh, Gary and Sally Gibbs. I think. In fact, I'm fairly sure that Gary shared some of this when he came to speak for us once. And they were talking about how do you have a spiritual conversation on Monday morning in the staff room, you know, when you're having your cup of tea. And <clears throat> Sally, who's a teacher, uh, she had this thing called chucking it up. And basically, she would just chuck something up on, onto the table and see what happened. And if nothing happened, she would just leave it. But very often, people would want to talk about it. So she'd go into work and um, be sitting in the staff room, and they'd be having a cup of tea in their break time. And she would just say something like, do you know somebody got healed at church yesterday? And then leave it and see if anybody was interested in talking about it. And more often than not, people are. Because how does that work? What's that all about? You know, if you don't have a faith in God and if you don't have a faith that God heals today, how does all of that work? What is that all about? And it gives rise to conversations. When people don't always really understand the answers that you give them because they haven't got the illumination of the Spirit. But those conversations are important things to happen, aren't they? They're what, happen, <clears throat> what happens when we allow the Spirit of God to work through us. So I'm, I'm closing now, just in case you were worried. Jesus, in these passages about the paraclete, wants us to understand that God has not left us alone. That we are not expected from our own resources to be able to live the life that he calls us to and to do the things that he created us for but that he sends his Holy Spirit to empower us, to give us everything that we need in order that we can follow him the way he wants us to follow him. And that the Holy Spirit will work in us to develop us, to become in terms of our character and everything else, everything that God wants us to be, but will also give us the power to do the things that God wants us to do. The Holy Spirit of God living with and in his children forever God is with us that's what these passages are about that even though Jesus is now sitting on a throne in heaven God is with us he is with us by his Holy Spirit and he will not leave us or forsake us and there is a, a clear path it seems to me that takes us to, to the best level of engagement with these things the first thing is Salvation is that actually each of us have to come to that point where we put our faith in Jesus and decide to follow him. And the Bible teaches us that that is the point where everything changes. That that deposit of the Holy Spirit comes into our life. That we are born again. In other words, we get a fresh start. We get to begin again. That we need that salvation. That following salvation... That there is water baptism. <clears throat> and I know that for, that essentially, you know, when we, uh, baptize people, it's, it's a, it's a confession of faith. It's a proclamation that something has happened within us. But it also has a deep spiritual dynamic that as we make that statement and as we are being obedient and going through the waters of baptism, that actually something does change. 
And um, for many people, that's the point that they experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that as they go through the waters of baptism, they come out the other side, and they really do know that something is different. Um, it would be easy for us to get caught up on the order of things. I want you to know I was baptized in the Holy Spirit a long time before I was baptized in water. That's just the way things worked out for me. So we're not going to get kind of too worried about that. But there needs to be a baptism in water and there needs to be a baptism in the Spirit. That second experience of receiving power from God to be everything that he calls us to be. And then there needs to be life in the Spirit. It can't just stop there. There has to be the journey. There has to be this walking with God, walking with the Spirit, allowing Him to work in us and through us, and giving ourselves to that process, making that journey, so that God's purposes can be achieved in us and through us. And I want you to know, really, there is no better place to be. There is no better feeling than knowing that you are becoming everything that God created you to be and that you are doing the things that God created you to do. There is no greater fulfillment than that. There is no better feeling than that. But it's going to take us some work to get there.